0: This is Sabrina Marie, host of the Building Abundance Success Series. Our primetime mastermind that promotes empowered, focused, decisive action, and inspired outcome. Our spotlight is on 2012 goals. Are you achieving your goals for 2012? What do you have in place? Are you playing full out? I know we all set resolutions and things that we want to get done in our lives at various times in the year. And many times at the beginning of the year, we set them as resolutions. Are you playing full out, though? Are you really seeing that you can get these goals done in 2012? Well... My guest tonight knows about playing full out. He is the author of The Last Year of Your Life. His name is Clint Arthur. He's a graduate of the Wharton Business School and a successful entrepreneur with over a decade of experience running his own businesses. He's the best-selling author of The Last Year of Your Life, The Income Doubler, and What They Teach You at the Wharton Business School. He's been featured on ABC, CBS TV, NBC, Fox, CW, And he's also been in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine, Open Forum, Los Angeles Time, the National Enquirer, New York Post, among many other media outlets. And he's famous for personal transformation experiences that he teaches and training programs. He's a keynote speaker and frequents national television and radio. He inspires millions of people to go bigger in their life, to amplify their voice live intensely, and make a huge impact in the world. Clint Arthur is just awesome. This is an awesome interview. I want you to go to thelastyearofyourlife.com, his website, and he starts his interview by telling us not only who he is and where he's from to create this great program, but how we can also make an impact on the world. Enjoy. Clint, how you doing this evening?
1: Fantastic. Thank you.
0: Wonderful. Thanks for being a part of Building Abundant Success. I've been reading a lot about your last com. I wanted you to tell the audience a bit about yourself and where you're from.
1: I want to ask you a question, and that is, could you think about where you were on New Year's Eve of the millennium? Were you out having fun? Were you partying, hanging out with friends and family, eating good food, maybe drinking some wine? I was sober as a ghost that night because I was driving people all around Los Angeles as a taxi driver. And although I was literally hanging out with a couple hundred people that night, I felt all alone. And although I made more in that one night than I would normally make in a full week of working in those days, I felt like a total loser by the end of the night. And when I got home, I crawled into my bed on my little tiny boat in Marina Del Rey and I had pulled my heavy down comforter on top of me. I was wearing all my heaviest clothes because there was no heat on the boat. And I was living like that because it was the cheapest way I could afford to live in Los Angeles. And I pulled out my favorite book to try to calm down by reading. And as I laid there reading by the light of a flashlight, I got distracted by my breath because it was condensing in the cold night air. Oh, my heavens. And, yeah. And I started thinking about my journey and what had brought me to being such a loser. And the book I was holding in my hands was called Angela's Ashes by Frank McCourt. And Frank McCourt was my creative writing teacher in high school, and he had won the Pulitzer Prize for writing that book that I was holding. And after I graduated from Stuyvesant, I went on to graduate from the Wharton Business School, the same college as Donald Trump and all his kids went to go study business. And... Once I graduated from Wharton, I moved out to Los Angeles to pursue my dreams of becoming a filmmaker and movie star like my idol, Spike Lee.
0: Wow.
1: And after 10 years of banging my head up against the brick wall that was the Hollywood dream, there I was, a taxi driver on New Year's Eve of the millennium. And I started crying because I was terrified I was never going to be able to turn my life around. I, I had dug such a deep ditch for myself. But I swore an oath to myself that night. I swore that I was going to do everything I possibly could to transform who and what I was because I didn't want to be a taxi driver forever. I knew that there was great things ahead of me. And so I started doing all kinds of personal growth and development work. I did everything you could possibly imagine because uh, I, I started teaching this little class at the Learning Annex and I got to take all their seminars for free. So I did. I took everything. And I, and I did every Learning Annex seminar, and I did Firewalking with Tony Robbins. I did Toltec Wisdom Studies with Don Miguel Ruiz. I did Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Carlton Sheets, Men's Power Circles. You name it, I did it. And you know what? It began to work. I started making money selling food in the gourmet food industry. And then I met an amazing woman, and I got married to her. And then she had faith in me, and she encouraged me to build an addition onto her two-bedroom, two-bad house. And that worked out great. And I started building houses. And I built four houses during the real estate boom and made a bunch of money. In fact, I became what most people would consider to be fat and happy. Mm. The only problems were that, number one, I was obese. I could barely bend over and tie my shoes. And number two, I was completely unfulfilled. Because here, I'd been writing since I was a little kid. And I had studied creative writing with the greatest writer of modern era, Frank McCord. And... When I gave up pursuing the Hollywood dream, I I quit writing too. I was like, man, if writing got me to be a taxi driver on New Year's Eve, I don't want to write anymore. But I'm a writer, you see? And that's the problem. You can't change who and what you are. You can only try to transform it in some way. And so I kept going to men's self-help work. And one night I was sitting in a men's self-help circle down by Los Angeles International Airport. We were on the beach because you could have a campfire. And as I was sitting there in my camping chair, a man on the other side of the fire pointed at me across the crackling flames. And then there was a jet taking off overhead, so he had to scream it over the jet noise. He said, you don't know it yet, but you're already dead.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: And I That's didn't scary. know what the heck he meant by that. I, I was, uh, But I was shocked by it, and I couldn't stop thinking about it. I, I could not stop thinking about it. And... I would wake up in the middle of the night from a silent sleep and I'd wake up and I'd be like, I'm already deaf, I'm already deaf. What does that mean? And it came to be New Year's Day four years ago. I'm talking about four years and two days ago. And I woke up on that day and I said to myself, if this was going to be the last year of my life, what would I want to accomplish? I wrote down a list of things that I wanted to do. One of them was, I want to get in shape and be healthy again. And so that year, I lost 40 pounds without joining the gym or changing my diet or hiring a trainer. Another thing I wrote down was, I want to write my book about what I learned at the Wharton Business School. Here, I went to the greatest business school of the world, and I had all the wisdom that they taught me there, and I wanted to record it for posterity. And that year, I wrote my book, What They Teach You at the Wharton Business School. And I'm very proud to tell you that about three and a half weeks ago, that book hit number two on Amazon.com's bestseller list for entrepreneurship books.
0: Cool. And so I became a
1: best-selling author because I was committed to living as if I was going to die. Number three that year, I said, I want to build a factory. It was, the, it was the middle of the recession, you know, and my, my suppliers were raising prices and trying to force me out of business, and I wanted to have control over my own destiny as an entrepreneur. And I said, I want to build a factory. And I didn't know what to do do it. I didn't know what it was going to cost, but I did know that I had to do it because otherwise I was going to be out of business. And so I built the factory that year and thank God I did because if it wasn't for that factory, my gourmet food company would have been another victim of the Great Recession. But instead, we've gone on to have record month after record month. And I'm I'm really completely free because of that factory because it just keeps cranking out money for me. And then the fourth legacy that I created for myself that year was I looked at my marriage and I said, I can't take this anymore. We had been together for seven years at that point, and in that marriage, it was like walking around on eggshells, and I said, I I, I do not want to have this marriage crumble like the relationship with my daughter's mother crumbled 13 years earlier, and so I was able to confront the tough issues because I was already dead. I I just didn't know what day was going to happen, and I knew it was going to happen at the very latest, a year from then, so... I was living like I was already dead and I had nothing left to lose. And so I confronted the tough issues, we got into counseling, and I'm happy to tell you also that just a few weeks ago, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary of being together. And that's the power that you get when you live as if it's going to be the last year of your life. And I've gone on to share this whole experience with people all around the world, from the North Sea to North Dakota, from, and every state of the Union. And it's an incredibly empowering thing. It helps people do Anything that they want to accomplish and I encourage everyone, if you've not done it yet, you need to live at least one time as if it's going to be the last year of your life because you know what? It just might actually be. In 2010, the youngest member of one of our coaching teams was 33 years old. He went to bed on October 28th and did not wake up. It was the last year of his life for real and he was only 33 years old. Good. Okay, well, I'm, I'm 46 years old. Wow. And Okay? And, uh, you know, that guy was only 33. He was the youngest person in the whole team of all the hundreds of people all around the world who were doing it that year. He was the youngest one, and he didn't stop. didn't survive. So you never know when it's going to be your last day. I just watched a movie last night. It was called 50-50. About a 27-year-old kid who had cancer. It was, he had 50-50 chance of living through his cancer. And he was healthy. He was a runner. He didn't smoke. You never know what's going to get you or when it's going to happen, and you need to do this at least one time, not only because of the great things you can accomplish, but because when you're watching the clock ticking down, and you know like today we only have three hundred and sixty two days left in this year, you got to have fun yes. you, you have a limit you have a limited amount of time you got to have fun and go for it
0: hmm. there had to be something there with all the knowledge and all the education you had. Um, besides just seeing, hey, I, I think I, I failed, what was it? What happened there? Were you just so disgusted with what was going on with your life? Or had you seen other people around you, uh you know, achieve greater heights than you had at that time?
1: Well, first of all, my, I found out right around that time that one of my fraternity brothers had gone on to become a director at Goldman Sachs Corporation. He was right. actually one year younger than me. He was a director of Goldman Sachs, making millions of dollars a year. And here I was, a cab driver, getting by on 500 a week. And now, you know, I talk about the fact that I was a cab driver on New Year's Eve pretty, pretty readily right now because I've realized that uh, I believe that um, Darren Hardy, he's the publisher of Success Magazine, he says, adversity is your advantage. That's wow. What now, let me just tell you, for years I was embarrassed to tell anybody that I was even a taxi driver. I used to not tell anybody that. I was so embarrassed and when I was here I was on New Year's Eve of the millennium, everybody knows what they were doing on New Year's Eve of the millennium. My wife knows what she was doing. She was partying in London, living it up on the high life, on, you know, uh, with her rich friends who were movie producers. She knows exactly what she was doing. Everybody knows what they were doing. If if you were a grown-up because it was like a once in a lifetime New Year's Eve thing. It, it was only going to be the millennium for you once in your life, and everyone was going to know what they were doing. And here I was. I knew that forever, I was going to know that I was a cab driver on the millennium. That I was. The, I was at the lowest point of my life. See, you have to understand. I. I you know, I had a golden life up until I, I tried to become a movie star. Every single thing, no matter what I tried to do, I did it. I was the star of every school play. I had you know, the highest SAT scores you can get. I get into my first choice college. I applied to one college, the best business school in the world and got in early decision. I mean, there was nothing I could not do until I made the wrong choice of trying to become a movie star and it resulted in a decade of frustration and ultimately to my becoming a taxi driver on New Year's Eve. So that's what what did it. I mean... You know, maybe it doesn't seem so bad to you, but we all have our own Waterloo. We all ha- have to hit our right. own bottom, and that was mine.
0: The last year of your life I was reading through, and I, I really like the acronym of ALIVE. I wanted you to tell the audience a little bit about how they can get involved with this program and, uh you know, some of the highlights there.
1: Okay. Now, if you're listening to my voice, then there's a very good chance, considering how vast all of time and space is, that you are here for a reason, and you're hearing my voice for a reason, and the reason probably is that you are living at less than your full capacity. You may be, in fact, walking around like a zombie. You may already be dead. You just don't know it yet, like me. And if you are already dead and you want to come back to life, this is how you come alive. Number one is the A in alive, and that stands for awareness. You have to become aware that there is a problem before you can start to solve the problem. And this conversation tonight is your wake-up call.
0: This is your awareness.
1: After awareness comes letting go. You're probably going to be pissed off at yourself for wasting years or, like me, more than a decade of your life not being able to make things happen, not being fully engaged, not truly following your passion and your heart song. And you're going to want to beat yourself up. I know I did. But that's not productive. Let's not dwell on the past. Let's just let it go. Let's cut our losses, if you will, and move forward into the I of a life. And that is inspire yourself. Inspire yourself with exciting plans and goals and dreams. Unless you create these plans and goals and dreams for yourself, you are never going to be inspired to do anything. You know, I don't want to go into the whole meaning of life, but I will say that whatever your life is going to become for yourself, It's going to become for you as a result of what you want it to become. No one's going to tap you on the head and say, you are now the next Beatle. No, it's not (laughs) going to be that. If you want to be the next Beatle, you have to decide that that's what you want to work for and go out and make it happen, and that's one of the inspirational goals you have to set for yourself. Then you have to visualize how to make your goals and, and inspirational dreams come true. And, for example, I was talking to this guy. He was a producer at WBZ Radio in Boston, the number one radio station in Boston. I was being pre-interviewed for a a talk I did there. And he goes, all right, well, look, Clint, you know, according to you, like, I've always wanted to go see the pyramids. So, like, according to you, I'm just supposed to get on a plane and go see the pyramids? And I'm like, dude, what are you saving those frequent flyer miles for? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Right?
1: And, And really... All he had to do was visualize cashing in the frequent flyer miles, getting on a plane, flying from Logan Airport to Cairo, getting on a bus and going seeing the pyramids. That's what he had to do. He had to visualize how to make that dream become a reality. And that's what he did. And I got a postcard from the guy two weeks later at the pyramids. Wow. And then the, the last part, it's amazing. It's amazing. You know, people say, oh, you know, it costs so much money to live the last year of your life to, like, live out of your pocket list. That's BS. It doesn't always cost a lot of money. We have all kinds of ways to do things for free in our society and a little bit of ingenuity can get you a long way and necessity is the mother of the And if you need to go to the pyramids and you don't have the money to do it, you're still going to do it. You may you may not like it. It may be more difficult. It may not be the style of travel or mode of transportation that you want to do it. But if you need to get to the pyramids, you're going to get there. If you need to do it. And then the last part is E, energize yourself. I'm talking about three dimensional energy. Physical energy, which comes from eating good nutrition, getting good exercise, getting enough rest. I'm talking about mental energy, which comes from not dragging yourself down with woe is me people and negative daysayers and people who are gonna tell you you're a dreamer and you're never gonna to amount to anything. You've got to get rid of all these people and just have positive people who are gonna help you have positive mental energy. And the third dimension of energy would be the spiritual energy. And that comes from listening to inspirational speeches like Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream or um, JFK's inauguration speech or Ronald Reagan's speeches. Whatever is inspiring for you, that's what you need to listen to. And you also need to read inspirational quotes almost every day. The more often you read the quotes, the better. And my favorite one is the quote from General George S. Patton, George S. Patton man who won World War II for the free world, he said, accept the challenges so that you can feel the exhilaration of victory. Wow. You're, you're never going to feel the victory unless you have first accepted the challenge and attempted something that was difficult. If you succeed at something that's easy, there is no thrill of victory to that. It's like, oh, well, another day, just another day, just another dollar, no big deal. But... If you become a New York Times bestselling author for the first time, that is truly an exhilaration of victory, and I'm looking forward to feeling that one day myself.
0: Oh, that will definitely happen. I hear that through your energy. You know, you mentioned you're energized, your last uh step, and uh, I remember early in the energy you said that uh, you had uh worked your way up and you were... Uh that you know, you uh, know, you know, obese and happy, but you weren't happy. And many people on their way to success, they neglect the rest—the good food, the exercise. They're so focused on that goal. What really kicked you into gear into, stay, into staying in shape after you lost that that weight? Because that's one of the big resolutions people have. And uh, many people I know that are successful, uh, well, they're not in the best physical shape.
1: Yeah. Well, if you don't have your health, what's it all worth? Really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really, it's it's really not worth anything. Now, my my dad passed away in November of
0: 2006.
1: Mm. And I, you know, I I guess I was depressed after that. 2007, I was depressed. And I was, and I hit my peak weight in 2007. And 2008 is when all these changes began for me. And, you know, uh, there has to come a point for everybody. Now, what's it going to take for you? That's the real question. Mm -hmm. You. I, you know, I don't know if you have a weight issue or if if the listener right now has a weight a weight issue. What's it going to take for you? And everybody has their own point. Uh, My sincere hope is that just hearing this interview will be enough. Don't let it get to the point where you're obese. Or if you're obese, just hearing my voice right now. Here's how you lose weight. I've done it. I've been there. I when I was two oh seven. I remember. I remember when I hit two oh seven. I thought to myself geez I just can't stop gaining weight then I hit 217 wow of course I hit 217 I just can't stop gaining weight then I hit 227 oh yeah naturally I hit 227 it's not going to stop then I hit 236 and I and I finally went holy cow what the hell ever happened to me I used to wrestle at 145 pounds as a champion wrestler in New York City on the New York City champion wrestling team and for me to get 90 pounds heavier, you can understand how miserable I must have felt. And hopefully, if you're hearing my voice, you will just take this simple recipe for weight loss. Number one, you have to walk one hour every day. And you may not be able to walk more than 15 minutes or even five. Whatever you can do, start doing it. Nobody can stop you from walking. It's free. You don't have to join a gym. You can just walk around your block. Okay? That's number one. Build up. You must get to an hour a day. When you get to an hour a day, then you're going to have consistent weight loss and you're going to keep the weight off. Number two, you must drink a lot of water. I bought these giant glasses. They're 24-ounce glasses. I used to drink four of those glasses every day full of water and sometimes more. You must drink the water. The fat leaves your body on the water molecules. That's how you get fat out. You have to drink a lot of water. Number three, I didn't change my diet. I kept eating the same food. See, I had a, I had a real hard time because my wife would not cooperate. She wouldn't cooperate. Mm. She didn't want me to lose the weight. She had this idea that her husband should be fat.
0: Mm.
1: And it was really, really, uh, it was really tough. It was really freaking tough. And I brought it up in marriage counseling all the time. I kept saying, don't you get it? Half as much food. You're serving me too much food. You're keeping me fat. I don't want to be fat anymore. Half as much food. And she still wouldn't do it. Mm. So I would take a knife and I would cut a line down the middle of the plate. And I would do it to try to insult her, to make her understand how important this was to me. I would take a line down the middle of the plate. I would push half of the food to the side and I would say, you see, I only want half as much food. I'm only eating half the food. And that's how I was able to do it. That's what I had to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Those are the three steps for weight loss. Like that, I lost 40 pounds in nine months.
0: Wow, that's awesome.
1: Yep.
0: I mean, really, I, I this is a program I'm going to get into. Your 52-week uh, action guide helps uh, you know people do this. Is there any information you want to give our listeners all over the world about this program and how they can get involved?
1: Yeah, please. I have... Uh, free videos for you to find out more about how to come alive, about how to create your own CPR, which is a proprietary goal-setting technology that I use in the program, and some inspiring stories of people who have participated in the Last Year of Your Life coaching programs around the world with me. And you can get those free videos by going to www.thelastyearofyourlife.com, thelastyearofyourlife.com. You can also find out about our program there. You can see a bunch of testimonials from people. Go if if any of this is making any sense to you, or is interesting or intriguing to you. Please go to thelastyearofyourlife.com and check it out. If if you know if you can only afford a few bucks, you can buy the book on Amazon as a Kindle for just three dollars, or you can get the paperback. I really recommend you get at least the paperback. It's less than twenty bucks, and this way you can have uh, the actual action guide. To guide you through week by week by week because you know what it's not easy to live the last year of your life and stay focused on it most people do not have the personal power or the dedication or the single-minded determination that i have to keep reminding you this is the last year of your life and i've created that book so that you could have me basically in your back pocket helping you week by week to go through the experience yeah i'm i'm like a maniac
0: I'm like a maniac. I
1: really... (laughs) And, you know, it's like for you to be able to have me on your team, you should jump at this opportunity because who knows? I may not be here next year. This could really be the last year of my life, maybe the last year of all of our lives. December 21st is the last day of the Mayan calendar. Do you know if the world is going to continue on after that? I don't. So do yourself a favor and get on my team this year, and you can do it very affordably at thelastyearofyourlife.com.
0: On your website, and I want to end with this, the um, quote you have is from Steve Jobs. It says, remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. How uh, poetic. Now, to read this now that he's left us, uh, how did he impact your life?
1: Well, first of all, I've been a Mac user since 1984. I had an original 128K Mac. And people say, where's your office these days, Clint? You know, I have. A major food service supply company. Mm I
0: lead,
1: I lead mastermind teams of people all around the world living the last year of your life. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a very, I'm a very active promoter and, and, you know, I'm going to Dallas to be on TV on Thursday and Miami to be on TV on, on Monday. And they say, where's your office? And I just hold up my iPhone. (laughs) So (laughs) that's where my office is. Steve Jobs totally influenced my entire life, and I believe he int- influenced the entire world, and he said that the whole reason he was able to do it was because of this tool of knowing that he was going to die soon. He got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and um, and as a result of that, he was super aware of the fact that he had a limited amount of time on this earth, and here's the timeline. He got diagnosed with cancer in the middle of 2003. In 2004, he had an operation, and they said, okay, You're going to live some extra time now because we, you know, we replaced, we cut out a piece of your pancreas, and you're going to live a few, a a few more months or years, whatever. 2005, okay, that was 2004. Can you imagine how distracting you must have been getting, like, you know, all these cancer operations in 2004? Mm -hmm. 2005, they started development of the iPhone. Two years later, 2007, they released the iPhone. Okay, that's how fast you can change the world. Because ever since the iPhone come out, everything has been different. You know it. Yeah. You know it's true. You know it's true. Everything has been different. The entire world is different. And in fact, Apple Computer went from being a niche player in the personal computer market to become, according to the New York Times, the most valuable company in, in the entire world as a result of the iPhone and the iPad and the iPod and Steve Jobs' powerful use of his ticking clock as a tool create change in his life, your life,
0: my life and in the world. This is awesome, Clint. I just um really appreciate you coming on with us. Go to the com, everybody. This is an awesome program. Any parting words?
1: Uh Yeah, the parting words are if you're afraid, you must. If you're scared to live the last year of your life, that's every reason why you should do it. If you like having fun, go for it. It's the most fun thing you'll ever do because you are forced to have fun because when, when you're, when you're, you, you get gallows humor. Really, you really get gallows humor. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen the opera Tosca. Have you? No, not yet. Okay, Tosca is an opera about this guy and he's gonna get executed. And he, he, there's, there's this really interesting scene it's right at the beginning of the third act of Tosca where you see him hanging out with the guards all night long while he's waiting to get executed in the morning.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: he, there he is. He's playing cards, having, having as much fun as he possibly can in the prison cell, playing cards with the guards who are going to kill him. And when you are living like it's going to be the last year of your life, you're going to seize every opportunity to smell the roses and have a great time. And so if you're afraid, you must. And if you like to have fun, do it. And if there's anything that you've always wanted to do, this is the most powerful and surest way to make it happen. So go
0: for it. Thank you so much, Clint. Bless you and all the work you're doing.
1: Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. And... Um, Please, um, you know, anybody wants any information, go to the website thelastyearofyourlife.com or send me an email, Clint at thelastyearofyourlife.com.